Thanks. We're going to jump right into the scripture today, Matthew chapter 6. It's the first gospel of the New Testament, the first chapter of the New Testament. Um, if you're looking in your Bible, page-wise, it's about two-thirds of the way through, but it'll be up on the screen for you. Therefore, this is Jesus speaking, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not this life or is not life more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet our Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these will be added to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we hear your word this morning, as we engage with um, words that are red-letter words, meaning Jesus the Christ said them, Father, I ask that hearts would be opened, eyes would see anew, ears would hear new things, and ultimately that we would be changed by your powerful, powerful words. May there be miracles that happen today. Amen. So I was on an airplane, which is a normal thing, but I was on an airplane with my son. And, um, you know, he's seven. And I don't remember when this particular time happened, but it was the first time that I recall him paying attention to the safety speech before you take off. And if you have never seen the safety speech, um, they give you the intuitive, this is how you buckle your buckle. Please keep yourself buckled at all times for your own safety, even when the, you know, the safety light is turned off. It's better that you're buckled, and they go through the exits. In some cases, it may be behind you. They're very careful to, you know, point that out. And some of the, you know, airplanes have the little lights that light up the way, and some of the planes have, you know, uh, fold-down slides or getaway rafts, and some of them have inflatable, uh, you know, and then they even have infant inflatable vests in case of water landing. I guess water landings are common. I don't know. Um, but... What I found most interesting was my son's reaction to, wait for it, you guys guessed it, 
the oxygen mask. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was little, I was kind of freaked out by that idea that the oxygen mask would pop magically from the ceiling at just the right time in case of emergency. And it may not inflate, but there's something happening. You'd think they'd fix the inflation problem. Like, maybe it should inflate to let me know that something's happening. But regardless, my son sees this, and of course, his anxiety is through the roof, right? And he thinks it's really cool, and he's trying to figure out. So he's like trying to pull down the panel to see where it's hidden and what kind of mechanism opens it up. And then he hears the famous line, Secure your own mask before those helping those around you. Anybody heard that line before? Which, on the outset, makes sense. If I'm okay, then I have the ability to help others, right? If I don't take care of myself, then my ability to take care of others may be limited. But he asked, why? And so I'm trying to explain that, yeah, you got to take care of yourself before you can take care of others. And he, he said, that makes no sense. That makes no sense. And I asked, why? Is it because everything that you've taught me is that I'm supposed to care for somebody else? It's interesting because we are in a world that focuses on the self, we celebrate the self-made person. Notice, ladies, I did not say man. Self-made person, right? Right? We celebrate the self-made person. Now, they may be loaded with debt up to their eyeballs and anxiety about everything going on in their life, and it may be very superficial, but they've made it. They've achieved. They've become. They have some stuff. It's seen as success, and yet a lot of times... That comes with all sorts, and, and I'll, I'll use this word, whacked priorities. Have you guys ever examined someone's priorities and thought, how did they get there? Or better yet, yourself and say, when did this become a thing? Right? I, I have woken up on certain days and thought, huh, what am I doing? Right? Because our priorities can get out of whack so Quickly, we are in a world that focuses on self. And as I was prepping for this week, what I found was that one in five people in the United States right now, about 20%, are clinically diagnosed with anxiety. One in five. It's a very serious problem. It's a real issue, which leaves us to today's line. And the line is, God helps those who help themselves. God helps those who help themselves. Really? Thankfully, that is not in the Bible. How many of you would have said before this moment, yeah, that's, that's biblical, right? God helps those who help themselves. It, has anybody said that line before? Be honest right? I have. It's not in there. You can't be found in the book. You can't manufacture it. It's not there because the truth of the matter is God helps all people regardless of their ability, regardless of their success, regardless of, of their, and thankfully, 
God helps those who can't help themselves. Because there are times in our lives where we need something that we cannot do for ourselves. And so, in this passage, we're given a very clear picture of how God helps those who can't help themselves. So, we're entering into this short series, and every week we're going we're gonna to look at some key phrases that sound biblical, that maybe talk about a characteristic or a nature of who God is, and yet they're not there. We think they're in the Bible. They often get thrown around as normal when describing God, but they're just not there. They can't be found. And with that in mind, this series is called The Bible Doesn't Say That. Now, there are loads of phrases and things that people attribute to the Scripture that aren't there, so we're only going to be able to look at a few of them. Um, and I want you to know, too, if you want to follow along, wayfinders.info, if you click Kyle Community once you get there, and then you click Message Notes, um, you'll pull up today's notes. You can actually write your own notes in right on your smartphone and email them to yourself later to keep. It also has discussion questions for you to maybe ask in your family or your spouse time or with some friends as you're kind of going through and debriefing some of what you um, hear this week. So our line for today, God helps those who helps themselves, who help themselves. It implies kind of just by its own nature, right? It implies that God is on the side of those who can fix themselves. How many of you have felt like that walking into church? I better get my act cleaned up before I walk in there. Yes? That's a lie. But we think it, don't we? I see some nods, even though I know underneath you're thinking, yeah, I thought that. Like, not everybody's nod, but I, I, we think that, right? That God is somehow only on the side of those who can fix themselves or those who achieve, right? You see somebody's success, what do they first do? Yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to thank God for all this random talent and ability that just came together with coincidence and like sports figures do that. Business people do that. Like we, we somehow attribute after success has been achieved, like we just throw God in the mix, like somehow I was ordained and blessed by God. Now, in some cases, God is blessing people. But I think there's a lot of times where we think, I did this. I achieved. I produced. I'm able. And if this were true, if this line were true, it invites me to make my priorities about getting, about achieving. It allows me to realign my priorities in crazy ways. If God only helps those who help themselves, then I better, you ever heard this phrase, I better get mine? I'm going to get mine. And yet, that comes with all sorts of strings and challenges have you thought about your priorities lately? Where do they lie? What's the most important thing going on in your life? If this line is true, then God is for me only when my effort level makes whatever is happening, happening. So if I, if I want to be a better person, I have to be a better person. 
God can't help me. If I want something to happen in my life, if I need healing or a job, I have to make it happen. And so it, 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 it's this challenge that God is only for me when my effort level is what makes it happen. It buys into this path of ascent because what it says is that God will love me when, when I fill in the blank. If God only helps those who help themselves, then love is highly conditional and predicated on what you and I do. Now, thankfully, this is not true. That God's love is absolutely unconditional. Because if it was conditional, then I have to admit, I would do anything. I would step over anyone. I would say anything. And I would do anything because I have to win. Because to earn God's favor, I would have to do things. So I would have to keep all the rituals, right? I would have to say all the right prayers. I would have to do all the right. It would be all predicated on what I do because God would only be on the side of the winner. And that's, that's wrong, thankfully. Our culture idolizes self-sufficiency and everyone, um, the idea that everyone needs to take care of themselves. And so I'm sitting in the airplane with my son and he's asking the question, Why? Why would I need to put that on myself before someone else? Our culture says, look out for number one. Focus on your needs before someone else's. And what has it produced for us? Anxiety. When our priorities are out of place... It produces anxiety in crazy highways because it changes the dynamic of relationships. It changes the dynamic of what's important. In Greek, that word anxiety, when it says don't be anxious about anything, is referring to a state of mind where we are over-concerned about something. Has anybody ever had a season where you're over-concerned about something? I can tell you I have. And I can tell you, and I have confessed this before, that oftentimes when I am obsessing about something, my mind goes to the worst possible scenario that's out there and Velcros to it. Have you ever seen those kids that run, you know, the, they have these bouncy houses where they put on this Velcro suit and they run and they bounce up and they Velcro against the wall. Do you know, you guys know what I'm talking I feel like that's me with anxiety when I'm obsessing about something. I, it changes my entire focus. I can't think about my kids. I can't think about Holly. I can't think about what God is wanting me to do. The only thing I'm thinking about is what I'm obsessing about, and my priorities have changed, and it's like I'm running and bouncing as high as I can, and I am Velcroed up there going, guys, get me down. Like, we used to play this game in youth group a long time ago. We don't recommend it now. It's no longer um, acceptable. There's a lot of games like that. Anybody... But we would duct tape people to the wall. You guys know, 
Yes? Anybody ever been duct taped to the wall? Thank you for being honest, sir. Um, That's what happens. And so it leads to this frenzy of activities because I'm over-concerned about something. And the path of ascent, this idea that I have to achieve, I have to become, I got to provide, I got to do these things. What happens, and you guys can probably finish this line, is it shifts your priorities. And when people say, how are you doing? If you are chronically saying, and you can finish this line, I'm too busy. You said that recently? I have. I'm too busy. And sometimes there are seasons of life where you're busy, right? Um, Brandon, you got a little baby at home. I've got a little baby at home. There are times where it is just, it's a season, and you're looking for that light at the end of the tunnel because outside of all of the circumstances, you have to deal with what's in front of you. And I'm not talking about that. But I am talking about when our priorities shift. See, God's plan for our lives is the exact opposite, that we focus on the kingdom first, and then God will take care of all of the necessities. Notice I didn't say that there aren't challenges, right? But God will take care of the necessities. Following the kingdom, following Jesus is about living a selfless life life. But I don't know how to do that. And clearly in this passage, Jesus is talking to people just like us. Isn't it encouraging to know that 2,000 years ago, people had anxiety? We haven't changed that much, have we? Because the first line, right, the first line says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. If I'm anxious about things and you tell me, do not be anxious, it does not help me. That is rude, Jesus. If you've got anxiety and someone says, hey, don't be worrying about that, it doesn't help you to stop worrying about it. All it does is bring up the idea that you are anxious about that, and so now it like it overextends it. Now, oh man, they know that I'm anxious about this. Now it's even worse. Anybody been there? Man, stop being the way that you are. That's not helpful. My anxiety level just rose right now. This section of Scripture, it falls in the greatest kind of collection of Jesus' teachings to people. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's a collection of messages that Jesus brought to people. And this particular section has to do with our relationship with the things around us, with material things, with, with relationships, with people, with the earth, with stuff. And I find it interesting that right in the middle of that line of thinking where he's talking about our relationship with things, he drops this passage which seems to be about anxiety but has a lot to do and it's closely tied to priorities because it deals with our attitudes towards possessions and what the world provides. Um. Two quick things. Have you ever seen somebody trying to do something that they just, 
They shouldn't try it on their own. And yet, they're going to do it on their own. When my little daughter, my older daughter now, um, was little, she had this line, and we still use it around my house. But when she first started talking, she wanted to be very independent. And if you know Kate, she is highly independent. Um, and she had this line that said, I do myself. I, I do myself, Daddy. And she would, she would say that because she didn't want help. And you know that if you could help her, you would solve the problem that she is getting frustrated about. And I have to feel like this passage is like that. Like God is saying, if you only understood with your priorities, if you just allowed me to help instead of trying to do this yourself, you would save yourself a lot of trouble. And the anxiety that you're experiencing is probably because you are easing me out of this picture instead of inviting me into it. And then I got to thinking about all the things in my life um, the other day, I had to get a new phone. I had just gotten a new phone, and Apple put out an update, and while my phone was updating in the middle of the night, some sort of something happened, and it was a brick in the morning. So I went to bed with a working phone, great. I woke up with a paperweight. And... I tried all of the sequence of events that it says, plugging into your computer, doing all these things, updating all these softwares, and an endless slew of attempts, nothing. And finally, I broke down, and I took it to the Apple store. And they did the same thing that I just did at home, so I waited there for another 30 minutes. And they finally said, you need a new phone. Your phone's broke. So I got this new phone. And I was putting all my apps back into it and, and, and getting ready, and... I realized there was a moment that it was so powerful. First of all, it unlocks to my face, which is just insane to me that my phone would know me that well. It's like an intimacy thing, right? And it knows me, and it doesn't know other people, apparently. But I found myself just unlocking it and looking at it. And thinking about all the things that I could do with this phone. It's a marvel. And it's amazing. But then I realized, like, I grabbed it probably four or five times, maybe six times during the day and unlocked it and did nothing but unlock it, check it, and put it back in my pocket. It's funny. I think I'm holding on to my phone, but maybe my phone is holding on to me. See, when our priorities are out of whack, and you look at this passage and it says, don't, don't worry about what you eat or what you drink or what you wear. Like God clothes the flowers, and they were better than the richest man that ever lived. They're more beautiful than that. Wouldn't God take care of you? And it says, don't be like the Gentiles. By the way, that's not like a specific group of people. It's like people that are out of relationship with God. Don't be like people that aren't seeing things through God's perspective. They miss out on this. They're worried about what they wear because sometimes what you wear says 
I've got this job. I'm in this stage in life. I've got this brand. I've, I drive this car. I've got... So sometimes we think we're holding our objects and really they're holding us. And it's not just the material things. It's success and status. It's relationships. It's, it's recognition. We live for the achievement, the relationship, the hit. See, we can hold things or things can hold us, right? Actually, this passage says, no, both of those are wrong. Neither of them is right. Because if either of them is right, it's robbing us of the life that God gives us. Are any of you guys familiar with the minimalist movement? Heard of that? It's part of the tiny house phenomenon, if you're into tiny houses, which I don't know that people, they get into tiny houses and then they have regret about their tiny house. But I love the idea of minimalism. It's saying, I don't need a lot of things. I need just enough things that are useful and meaningful, and I'm going to hold on to those, and I'm going to let go of everything else because that's going to free my time and my energy and my resources where I can experience life to the fullest, and I can give things away, and I can participate in a different type of economy. And I love that perspective because when we gain the perspective about our stuff, about status, about relationships, when, when we gain perspective that God has provided it all, we don't need to hold on to something to feel like we've achieved. Conversely, this passage is also not saying, don't do anything. There's, um, you know, there's a group of people that I think when, when you read this passage, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, right? Don't worry about what you eat or drink or what you're going to be clothed. Like, look at the bird. God just takes care of, like, the idea that God's just going to take care of everything. Some people take that to the other extreme and say, no, nah, I'm quitting my job. God will take care of it. No, nah, I'm going to quit trying. God will take care of it. In fact, um, there's a group of people that took this passage so literally, like right after Jesus said this. It's the church in Thessalonica. So the, the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 um, catalogs this. There's a group of guys that took this idea so literally that God would just provide. And by the way, they presumed that by God providing, that was the church, the community of God would provide for them. So they stopped working. They stopped doing anything. They quit their jobs. They quit relationship. They quit trying. And they just said, y'all, come on, help me. Did that go over well? No. It did not go over well. In fact, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul says, for as you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary. In other words, get to work. The whole passage is about not being lazy. Get a job, get to work. Don't stop doing good because how God has provided is he has provided everything for us. He provided it all. And he does provide, by the way. The kingdom 
Jesus says in a later passage when he's describing what the kingdom is. He says, it's like a mustard seed. When it gets planted in the ground, it grows into the widest, gnarliest bush. But you know what that bush does as it grows bigger and bigger and bigger? It provides space for the birds of the air to find food and shelter. It provides, and that's what the kingdom does, the church does. We grow and we provide space for people. And so the key, God does provide. Now, it's also true that not all birds are adequately fed. Some birds are fed differently than others. It's also true that not all flowers realize their full beauty. Droughts and catastrophes cut the lives short of both, and the same is true for people. And this passage, if you read to the end of, of the chapter, um, it says, don't be anxious about tomorrow because tomorrow is going to bring its own problems, which would seem to be contradictory to the idea that we would set up a plan. Right, Chris? Because if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. So I don't think saying don't be anxious is about planning or about effort. It's about a priority to say, what is the most important thing? Because when I get out of balance, everything gets thrown off. So what's the point? Clearly, Jesus is not talking literally about the birds and the flowers. They're symbols of God's providential care. And God has provided an ecological system. The rain falls, it waters the grass, which provides the, the flowers and the things that the birds eat, the birds take that. We eat the birds. We're all in relationship. It's like the circle of life right there, right? We're all in relationship, and so we get to care for the things around us. That also means that we're not just invited to care about the earth and our relationship to steward that, but we're invited to care about our relationship with people and the social justice aspect of what it means to care for those who are marginalized, voiceless, and unable to help themselves. We are invited to be how God shows up. You and I are invited to become the miracle what's really cool is we get to sit back and sometimes God just wants to show off. You ever seen something happen that God did totally in spite of anything that you could ever try to do? This church is one of those things. I've seen miracles happen in physical healings where it was no amount of prayer could have changed the diagnosis except it did change the diagnosis. Sometimes God gets to show off. So as we kind of draw all of this sporadic thought that I've thrown out there to ahead, if our lives are full of anxiety because our priorities are out of whack, what does it mean to fix it? Can you throw up verse 33 for me, Alexis? It says this, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, 
and all of these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. I love this line. Has anybody heard this scripture before today? It's one that gets quoted all the time, but it often gets quoted in a misquoted way to say, if you just seek after God, everything is always, always, always going to be right. And yet, that's true. But maybe not how we think. The idea of seeking God's kingdom, we have to know what a kingdom is. What is true of every kingdom is that there is a king. And now, the idea of the kingdom is that Jesus is the Christ and the Messiah, meaning he's the one when he is in charge, when he is reigning and ruling in your life to bring order to that chaos, to put everything in the right balance. Does anybody like balance in their life? Right? Would like to be free from that anxiety? When we choose to make God that that, that kingdom of God, when we choose to make that reality, seek after that, it changes everything. Now, the word seek, I'm going to teach you a word, is the word zeteo, and it means this, to seek in order to find, to seek a thing, to seek in order to find out by thinking, meditating, reasoning, inquire into, to seek after, seek for, aim at, strive after, to seek, require, demand, crave, or demand something of someone. Do you see how active that is? And here's what's crazy. Um, in grammar, there are tenses. And this particular word is in the perfect present tense. Meaning, if you are actively doing it, this is an active reality. You are to be doing it continually, and the results will be constant. It's when we waver that the priorities change and it messes things up. The perfect present means it's all the time. And then the very last part, added to you, that's actually the plural. So it could be added to y'all, or we're in Texas, so added to all y'all, right? To, it, it's us, added to us. What things? The things that we need, right? Relationship, connectivity, when we are a part of this body because we're seeking after God's kingdom, when we're a part of doing life together and loving first and living out God's story, when we're actively seeking God reigning and ruling in our lives, then all those things get added to us and collectively we get to engage it. When we seek God's kingdom reigning and his rightness Everything gets added. You know, earlier in the chapter, in verse 8, Jesus said, For your Father knows what you need before you even ask. Paul spells it out this way in Philippians. Chapter 4, verse 6, he says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So, Brandon, if you want to come up, and as we close, I want to address the elephant in the room for a second. How many of you sitting here with anxiety said, you did not answer anything about anxiety for me today? You just made me more anxious, like I've got to try harder. That's 
There's power in naming something. What I mean by it, if you're struggling with anxiety over an issue or over an area of your life, you may feel, and very rightly so, like you are not able to help yourself out of it. That's okay. But there's power that happens in naming it. See, when I say, I am anxious about this, and I'm very clear about what it is, what is bringing me anxiety, because I've done that internal work to say, this is actually the thing that's bothering. My priority over here about this thing devalued that person, and it made me anxious. My self-worth over here says, in my job, I'm not sure I'm able to perform to the standpoint where my spouse will be happy or my boss will be happy and it's bringing me anxiety. You see, when we begin to name our anxiety, we can properly prioritize it. When we name it, it starts to lose its power. See, God didn't give you anxiety to strip you of the life that God wants for you. He knows what you need before you even ask. But when we ask, we put names to our challenges. We put names to our anxiety, and we put it in perspective. When we name it, we understand it. And that's, that's what the kingdom economy is all about. See, we, we seek God's reigning and ruling in our lives. We seek after that with all of our priorities. And the other things take proper order for us. So over the next 21 days, we're going to be reshaping our priorities to seek the kingdom. 21 days, they say, makes or breaks a habit. If you have anxiety of any kind, if you need God to do a miracle in your life of any kind in any area of your life, my challenge is this. Let God do what you can't because God helps those who can't help themselves. And so what we're going to do is we're going to reshape our priorities and seek after God's kingdom in prayer and meditation and see what happens. Miracles are going to happen. Anxiety is going to be reduced. Finances are going to be restored. Relationships are going to be healed. Addictions beaten. I promise you. There's a, there's a published article that talks about the top three mistakes people make when setting priorities, they don't think about it, they make it too complicated, and they don't live their priorities. They don't live their priorities. So I've made it very simple for us. 21 days, we're going to pray. There's a sheet. There's sheets over on the side on these that I'd love for you to take. It's 21 days. It's got a scripture for each day. And your challenge is to read that and spend some time praying, seeking after God's kingdom. Reorient your priorities. Sometimes it's difficult to live our priorities out. 
Would you say that God's your top priority? Are you seeking first his kingdom? You know, Yahoo, when you Google search, answer, what's a priority? Or how do you set a priority? You know the top answer? It says a priority is something that is important. (laughs) It's just saying that it is important. We all have things that we treat as the most important. I want to end here. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and God will give you the desires of your heart. By the way, that's not saying give you what you want. It's saying when you seek after God's kingdom, when you take the time to pray and read, when you take the time to get alone, when you take the time to run stuff past your companions in the church, in God's community, in God's kingdom, when you seek after God's will above all else, what happens is God plants and puts into your heart the desires that are there. And so maybe if we did a little bit more of that, our anxiety would be reduced. Maybe if we named and claimed, our anxieties would be reduced. By the way, I'm also not saying don't go see a professional. I'm giving you space for God to use every possible means for the breakthrough that you need in your life. What the Bible says is that God helps those who can't help themselves. So let's spend 21 days reprioritizing our lives. You can download this on the sermon notes online directly to your phone. I'll also email it out. I may even put it on Facebook. I want to give you every avenue to change your perspective. So everybody stand up. We're going to sing a song. And as we're singing, I just want to invite you to answer this one question. Are you anxious about something? What is that anxiety saying about your priorities? And are you willing to seek God's reigning and ruling in your life above all else? Would you answer that question as we sing and pray?